Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and I'm your host, Matthew Keevil. As usual, we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please do hop over to yukonminingalliance.ca to check out all the exciting exploration and development activity going on in Canada's Yukon Territory. And this is episode 68 for the week of July 24th. Just a quick public service announcement for those in Vancouver. Uh, the Sprott Resource Symposium is currently underway at the Hyatt downtown on Burrard. Uh, I will be heading down there tomorrow to uh, sit down with some of the analysts and companies. Hopefully we'll grab uh, Brent Cook and Joe Mazumdor from Exploration Insights, do a little roundtable with them. Uh, hopefully scheduled to sit down with Rick Rule as well. So we might have a bunch of content coming at you fast and furious over the next week or so from the Sprott Show. Uh, but if you're interested in some of your favorite companies do head down there check it out there's a little bit of a uh charge cover fee i believe but uh, help another website check that out um you might be interested in it uh, if you are listening to this show uh but meanwhile uh we have a great uh, couple of guests lined up this week uh leslie's actually down at the show today so we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus from the geology corner but have no fear it will be back next week uh firstly we have uh, mickey fulp one of our favorites the mercenary geologist i sat down with him at the uh, show in dawson city yukon to talk about commodities and what his approach is to investing through these summer months. Uh, also, what he's sort of looking forward to seeing as we come up on Labor Day and move into the fall. So as usual, uh, Mickey drops by, has a, some great insights from south of the border uh, on investment strategies, where he thinks markets are going. We'll talk gold, we'll talk oil, we'll talk copper and zinc. So it's a great about 10-minute segment. Secondly, uh, I sit down with Brian Cox, who is the new president and CEO of the Mining Association of BC. Uh, and you may ask, what do you talk about? Uh, politics. Politics, politics, politics. As everyone knows, we have a new uh, NDP Green Coalition uh, sworn in uh, in mid-July. Everyone has questions about what this means for our business, what the regulatory framework is going to be looking like moving forward. How do you feel about mining? I've heard uh, many different things from companies directly. Uh, a lot of the northern um, companies involved in northern BC talking about MLAs who are very supportive of mining. A few uh, in the southern reaches who are a bit more alarmed uh, about uh, what they're hearing. Uh, so I had the chance to sit down with Brian. And uh, he's obviously quite tied in on both sides. So we'll talk about what he's hearing from the government. We'll talk about what he's hearing from companies in terms of what this new political climate might mean for the BC mining industry. But before we uh, crack on with our segments, we'll do our touch of macro for the week and cover a recent rally in the spot prices of copper and gold. Uh, most notably, gold bounced off that $1,200 per ounce level with a vengeance on uh, a weaker U.S. dollar. Heading into Tuesday, however, it did slip a little bit. Uh, there's a two-day Federal Reserve meeting expected to provide further clues with respect to U.S. monetary policy. Uh, Scotiabank does note, however, that there is clearly no rate hike announcement expected tomorrow. Uh, the U.S. dollar... Uh, finds itself in positive territory this morning, as do 10-year yields. Uh, and the market reportedly has a risk-on tone to it, with investors driving up European equities overnight. Total gold ETFs were down 116,000 ounces on Monday. Uh, furthermore, uh, hey, copper's back, $2.80 per pound. Uh, Scotiabank reports that all the LME base metals are solidly in the green this morning, with copper prices hitting five-month highs, uh, not seen since February. Uh, a breakout to the day, like today, especially on strong trading volume signals a further shift in sentiment to the positive side of things. Interesting given this is happening during the normally slower summer months. Something we'll cover in the segment with Mickey Fulp coming up. Uh, Scotiabank also notes the market completely quote unquote looked through the fact that Anto and Zaldivar's union struck a deal to avoid a strike. 
But for a little bit more on what uh, these rally in base metals and subsequently oil might mean for our long-term commodity markets, let's head right into our segment with Mickey Fulp in Dawson City. Uh, I'll be back after the break to intro my interview with Brian Cox of the MABC. And once again, I'm joined by uh, show favorite, Mickey Falk, the mercenary geologist. Thanks for joining us, Mickey. Thanks, Matt. Uh, what are you sort of seeing in mining markets these days? Is it slowing down? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, look at uh, Venture Exchange. Now, we've been up here in Yukon for a couple of days and haven't really followed what's going on mm-hmm. that much. But uh, as of yesterday morning, the Venture Exchange Index, which is my proxy for this sector, mm-hmm. uh, had hit uh, year-to-date lows like four or five days in a row yeah. and on very low volumes there is just nothing uh, going on in the market that's piquing people's interest at this point and that too is not unusual it's the approaching the the heart of the summer doldrum season but that said we went from sell in May and go away directly in the summer doldrums, and that's pretty unusual. Yeah, you don't see that really. And I mean, uh, so with based on what we've talked about up to this point, um, how sort of are you approaching markets now? Well, I've done and, the same thing I've been doing for the last year or so, and yeah. that's startup deals, okay. because I'm still under the impression that we, we are at the beginnings of a bull market for commodities. But mm-hmm. this time, I think it's going to be driven perhaps not so much by gold, but the base metals, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the industrial metals have looked pretty strong over the last two or three weeks. Um, you know, it's almost like the hedge funds moved in about a year ago, Q1 of end of Q1 2016. Yeah. They all moved in in mass, started with gold at that point, but all those zinc was up 60% or something That's last right. year. Right. And it looks to me like they all moved out in mass about <laughs> in February of this year. Yeah. Now they're starting to move back in a bit, and I think that's reflected by what you see in zinc and copper. Copper, although it's not at a very good price, but it's it's bounced off that 250 level, and it's pushing to upper 260s again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still got a ways to go, but look at zinc, Matt. Yeah. Zinc's uh, yeah. back to a buck 27 yesterday. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm probably looking more at those sorts of plays. Although I have, uh, you know, I've got some interest to be here in Yukon. I'm looking at three projects that I didn't see on the tour last year. We kind of got a secondary tour for people that are repeaters. One of them and, being a zinc project, funny enough. Yeah, yeah. Fireweed Zinc, yeah. which is up in, it's the old Mill and Pass area. And, are you uh, familiar with the I, I'm not familiar yeah. with the area. I certainly know of its history, but mm-hmm. this will be my first time up there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it does have... Uh, for the Yukon, it's got some semblance of infrastructure, yes. i.e., a highway yeah. close. So, yeah. uh, from that point of view, it's it's a leg up. But you know, there's some pretty good zinc assets up there. Whether they are economic under their current size and grade, I haven't really looked at it. Yeah, close I, I hear enough it's a SEDEX thing. I, I, yeah, I, it is I, a yeah. SEDEX thing. Yeah. I know that for for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so those things can be giant and they can be high grade. Mm-hmm. Um, probably if that was anywhere else in the world, it'd already be a mine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. you got to realize we're in the Yukon, very harsh climate, 
infrastructure difficulties for the most part. You know, fuel's expensive. Concentrate shipping. <laughs> Concentrate shipping, yeah, ex yeah. exactly. So, um, so there's some difficulties there. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll be taking a look at that deal a bit closely, uh, a bit more closely as well as we move forward here. I, one of the things I want to look at is the metallurgy, actually. I haven't had a chance to really dig into that. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be checking out Fireweed Zinc. So, visit maybe uh, the mercenary geologist and he may have uh, something to say about that one yeah we'll, we'll come out you know i'm yeah. going to three different companies i'll come out here cer certainly i would hope within the next month or so uh kind of a field trip exam excursion sort of thing probably not going to talk too much about uh, the companies themselves in terms of their merits because mm -hmm. I don't own any of the companies I'm going to see but right. uh, but it'll give me a good idea of what's going on in Utah. Mm -hmm. And speaking of which uh, another company that you'd mentioned to me off uh, recorder uh, was K2 Gold and uh, that's I just saw their revealed logo and it's basically the Kamenak logo so so we're calling it Kamenak <laughs> 2. Uh, maybe you want to fill us in a little bit on what you know about Well K2. it's kind of curious because the uh, the chairman of the board is the ex-chairman of the board of Kamenak, <laughs> yeah, and that's John Robbins. John Robbins and uh, John's got a good track record. He runs a group in, out of Vancouver with several companies mm -hmm. uh, called the Discovery Group. And one of those companies is Firewood, Firewood, Firewood Zinc, and another one is K2 Gold, yeah. of which I chose to become a seed stock shareholder of that company. Mm -hmm. um, they put Steve Swatton in as the CEO. I know Steve from his previous carnation, incarnations at uh, Brazil Resources Inc. And also he was an analyst with Yorkton, yeah. if, if memory serves. Actually, funny enough, I just sat down with Steve and he has an exceptionally long resume. I, I asked him what his background was in a, Rio BHP. He's worked with Lucas Lundin um, and, and now he's in front in charge of K2 Gold. So I had a good chat with him. It sounds interesting. It's... Uh, sort of an intrusive related model they're using. Yep. Uh, they, they sort yep. of mentioned Dublin Gulch as an analog. So. Yep. I, yeah, and I haven't been there, but I've read enough about it and I know the people. Yeah. So it's a startup company, so it's a tight share structure, yeah. or it was an RTO from another company. Yeah. Right people, and, uh, and it's got an interesting project from what I can see. Uh, uh, they bought it from a couple of prospectors. It's in a part of the Yukon, it's never really been uh, looked at as perspective or explored for these kind of tombstone granite yep. sort of intrusive related deposits and uh, and they're drilling now underneath some trenches where uh, there were soil anomalies and trench anomalies and so you would expect good drill results to come out of that. Yeah and this is their wells project just so you get the name out there yeah um, and uh, the thing it was under a private company called Gorilla Minerals actually prior yep. to John picking it up which is uh, it's, it's notable I, I saw some of the, the historic results and they were definitely definitely pique your interest yeah sure. certainly it certainly yeah. will so yeah. we're hopeful they're they're drilling now and uh, um, you know I my cost base is considerably less than it trades at. It doesn't trade a lot of shares, but uh, yeah. But that's that's the ballpark I tend to, to work in right now. Um, you know, we're still saddled with lots of, for lack of a better word, legacy companies with lots of shares or rollbacks waiting to happen. So my sweet spot over the last year or so is really go into startups on kind of new stories, new deals, 
can be recycled projects, but certainly the companies are tightly held with the right people. Yeah. And and if the properties are merit, those are things that attract me. Have you seen a pickup in, in those types of deals? A lot, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, you know, we probably sat here a year ago and I would likely have said, I don't really see anything that, that, that I'm that interested in. And yeah. so over the last year, let's say that People in the business, people in the know, see a bull market coming. Uh, they're they're getting active again with startup companies, and mm-hmm. so I saw seen a lot more of that. I probably participate off the top of my head. I must have put uh, money, startup capital, seed capital, founders capital, into half a dozen deals this wow. year. Wow! Wow! So definitely picking up. We'll see if that momentum starts to sort of pick up again once we, as you said, get out of these summer doldrums. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're certainly uh, in a little bit of a lull period now, but we're all hopeful when September, like you said, Labor Day rolls around and everyone gets back to work, uh, that we'll resume our momentum. Yeah, and I, I, one uh, one point I would like to make, I think that uh, the oil price is weighing on on all commodities markets right now. So, you know, you generally look at, at three commodities as, as indicators of our business, and that would be oil and copper and gold. And with the exception of copper, which is basically treading water right now, the other two commodities are down. That may just be a summertime phenomena. Um, you know, with oil, it's basically because U.S. shale producers are too good at what they do at this point. But uh, you know, it, it becomes at some point a matter of who's stronger, U.S. shale producers or OPEC, and I'm going to wave my American flag and say I think the winners here will be U.S. shale, and once that happens and we get, you know, and the oil prices is, is at the point right now it's not going to encourage uh, more oil production, but the minute it sticks above $50, which it's been most of the year, yep. here go the drillers again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, this has been Matthew Keevil. We are here in Dawson City for the annual Yukon Investment Conference, and we have been joined by Mickey Folk, the mercenary geologist. Mickey, why don't you uh, let people know where they can find you online? Yeah, mercenarygeologist.com, free subscription service. Uh, you get all my stock picks and all my interviews. This will be up on uh, on the website and at Mercenary Geo. We're now at 63,000 Twitter followers and quite active in that venue. Perfect. Well, Mickey, thanks again for joining us. Uh, thanks a lot, Matt. And welcome back to studio. Thanks again to the mercenary geologist, Mickey Fulp, for dropping by to talk commodities. Uh, Mickey actually pitched me on another great show idea that we're probably going to be looking into, and that has to do with uh, socio-political risk and geopolitical conflict. Uh, obviously, we've talked a lot of recently about Acacia Mining and uh, what's going on in Tanzania. Uh, they were just delivered one of the most astounding back tax bills ever in the hundreds of billions of dollar range. Uh, we've heard a little bit of buzz around the industry about uh, what's going on in Tanzania, uh, whether anyone has been um, uh, put in jail or, or detained in any way. Uh, so it'll be interesting. We're following that story along. There'll probably be some follow-up editorial coming up on that. Uh, but if you're interested, do uh, surf over to northernminer.com. I've covered that in-depthly uh, on the website. So there is coverage on that there. Uh, but hopefully one day we will put that show together with Mickey, maybe some other guests. 
on that rising geopolitical risk and what it sort of uh, looks like and means for uh, the North American mining industry. Uh, but speaking of which, uh, very good segue. Uh, coming up now is my interview with Brian Cox, the new president and CEO of the Mining Association of BC. And speaking of volatile political situations, uh, we are going to discuss the new NDP Green Coalition in BC. Now, Brian obviously has a really good vantage point for this because he liaisons between the industry, government, stakeholders, etc. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about uh, what he's hearing and what he's discussing with the various groups in the BC mining industry, uh, what he's uh, sort of discerned from the incoming NDP Green government, uh, what he knows about their platforms, and uh, how the MABC is sort of working on a communications program to help with mining's image. Uh, And we've talked about this a lot. Uh, We, you know, the ties to renewables. Uh, we've had Robert Friedland on this show, Lucas Lindine on this show, who hammer the connections between copper and electric cars. We've we've heard uh, things hammered between metallurgical coal and infrastructure. Uh, just that these connections are there and necessary, and that uh, mining is a fundamental for the green quote unquote revolution. Uh, and maybe that that's not exactly broadly understood uh, by society generally. I mean, it's definitely understood within our industry, but how far does that message actually travel? Uh, And that's one of uh, Brian's mandates is to try to get out there, talk to people about mining, talk to stakeholders, empower advocates, etc. So we're going to dig into a lot of stuff in this interview. It runs about half an hour, but if you're interested in the BC mining industry and what uh, people are hearing about this new government, about the regulatory framework, about what things are going to be looking like moving forward, Brian's the guy to talk to. Uh, He taught, he's uh, as noted, connected with a lot of these parties. So uh, we sat down, um, this was a little bit earlier in the month, uh, early July, so right before the NDP uh, cabinet was sworn in. Uh, so we'll, we'll have a great discussion here. Uh, I'll be back after the break to wrap up the show, uh, but do, do stay tuned if you're interested in BC politics. Kick off and ask you, Coming into this position, um, not to say anything about your predecessor or the organization party being in charge, but was there some things that you viewed you'd like to improve on or institute that weren't here previously? Well, I just, I guess I'll say, I mean, this is an incredible opportunity mm-hmm. for the industry to really, um, to really get out there and talk about ourselves a little more. Um, I think you know, what we saw in the election recently was that real divide between urban and rural BC. Yeah. And I think there's no better um, natural resource industry, better position than the mining industry to engage British Columbians in that dialogue about, about the industry and the benefits that it, uh, that it has um, in every single community in the province. Yeah. So if there's one thing I really want to do, it's to have that dialogue with British Columbians mm-hmm. to really talk about how you know, in Burnaby is a mining community, Coquitlam is a mining community, Surrey and Langley are mining communities, yeah. and talk about how that, how we as an industry touch them, and um, and to, to really have that dialogue about how interconnected we are in the province, and how it's incredibly important to have industries like mining thriving in order to have um, the, the entire province running on all cylinders. I, I found it interesting you mentioned this, I've read some of your comments previously, um, and some of the things that you sort of focused in on were, were the green energy movements and how mining is necessarily counter cyclical to renewables, right? Which is, is something we haven't talked about probably enough in the recent past. I don't even think the service has been scratched on that discussion. I, I think you've seen it over the last few days with the report from Clean Energy Canada mm-hmm. coming out saying how uh, the opportunity for mining in Canada and specifically in British Columbia because of what we uh, we mine for here, which is predominantly copper and steel making coal, as you know. And, and you think of those two commodities specifically, 
when you think of uh, you know the, the amount of copper that more copper that goes into a, uh, an electric car than a conventional car, you think about how much steel making coal goes into a to a wind turbine. Uh, you, you just take the you know solar panels, medical equipment. I mean, you could go on and on about mm -hmm. what the materials we mine in British Columbia and how they benefit society. And uh, you know, I think the health the health equipment. Uh, Discussion is one that hasn't even been talked about. I mean, as we continue with our aging population and demographics, yeah. you think about the medical equipment we're going to need. Well, you need, um, you know, you need uh, uh, metals and minerals for that. So, uh, you know, there's a really interesting conversation to be had there uh, in that regard to say, you know what, uh, this is what we do in BC. This is how we're contributing to a lower carbon economy. We, in fact, are the solution to that, mm -hmm. and um, we need to be, you know, folded into that broader debate. And I mean, a lot of the debate, um, and maybe your your uh, uh, peers at AMEBC deal with this a bit more than you do, but land use is a big issue, right, that, that sort of BC is specifically tackling now. I'm just wondering, sort of, um, if, if that you're changing that messaging at all, or the approach to that dialogue on, let's say, social license, First Nation communities, et cetera, that's been sort of a hot-button topic in BC recently. Well, I, you know what, I think it all comes down to dialogue with communities and, and in our, uh, I think a role that, that we at the association can play and I can play in my role at MABC is talking about the positive things that are happening every day on the ground right now in the province of BC. We're always so commonly here about the things that aren't working and the things that need to be worked on, mm -hmm. but honestly there's so many amazing things happening uh, in relationships with communities, with First Nations, with other stakeholders right here right now in the province that have been happening already. And mm -hmm. I think that those are the the stories that, that need to be injected into the public discourse, just mm -hmm. so there's there's more of an understanding of what's happening already. Can we improve things? Absolutely, there's always room for improvement. But in an industry like mining, we're, we're working every day. Our operators and proponents are working every day on the ground with communities, with First Nations, with other stakeholders. That That's how things are done. And I think that that, um, that needs to be communicated more that, that this is a process that's iterative it's ongoing and with a regulatory process like we have in mining it's one that continues from the you know very start rate through the reclamation of of the properties an ongoing regulatory process which involves constant dialogue and debate with government with first nations with stakeholders and so um, just having the public know that that's ongoing and always happening mm -hmm. i think it's really important because it's it's been a bit opaque i think so yeah. um i think so and it's and People are busy. I mean, a lot of the average British Columbian doesn't doesn't have the time to look into you know the regulatory yeah, process. Or the filings or yeah. Sure, yeah. and you know some people do and, and pay attention and, and, and that's good. But but we need to find a way in the industry to communicate um, in a way that people are are able to take it in, right? And and, and it's difficult in an industry like mining. This is very technical, and there's so many different pieces to it. But but that's that's the opportunity for us is really engaging with British Columbians and that. In that human way to talk about our what we do in the province. I guess, Brian, maybe the most apropos topic we could discuss right now is that the political landscape in BC is particularly volatile, I would say. It's probably a good word. Um, I'm wondering if you had taken a look at uh, the Green and NDP platforms in terms of our industry and uh, how you're preparing for the new government. Sure. Um, well, we do have some more certainty now with the you know an NDP cabinet being sworn in on July nineteenth. I guess it is yeah. now. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what one thing we did do during the election campaign, we did this in partnership with with AME BC and the Mining Suppliers Association, is we did a vote our vote mining campaign. Yeah. So what we did was uh, really empower 
um, British Columbians to go out and engage with the candidates in, in every constituency and, and ask them questions about the industry uh, and, and how they, they see their party and, and themselves as candidates supporting it. So we really had a series of questions uh, and a letter that could go in and, and uh, feedback that candidates could provide to, that, to us. So we heard back from every major party. We heard back from the Greens, the NDP, and the Liberals. Mm -hmm. And all three of the parties, very supportive of mining. So, um, you know, very supportive of the jobs that come with mining, with the benefits that come from mining, the partnerships that come from mining. So from that regard, very encouraging to see that mining is front and center in, in all of the political parties' um, vision of a future of British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And you know it was a, it was really important to be able to go out and, and empower and engage our um, our advocates throughout the province to to engage in the process with that. Um, the, very very consistent with the platforms of the of the parties, right? Mm -hmm. Mining is is uh, you know front and center. It's an important foundational uh, industry to this province, and uh, all of the parties recognize that, and we appreciate that. And now it's time to really talk about what we can do to help the industry to grow and thrive. And one of the items you sort of earmarked, I noticed in, in some of your remarks, was uh, the regulatory process and quote unquote red tape. Um, and I'm assuming that's going to be a major topic with the incoming yeah. government. And, and I'm just wondering your thoughts. It's such a buzzword, and everyone I sit down with in this industry talks about expediting the regulatory process. So, from your point of view, yeah. what needs to be done here to, to speed this up? Because yeah. it is, as you said in your remarks, it can be a problem. Well, it's, I mean, as, as I touched on earlier, the regulatory process is so broad mm -hmm. and it's c c always ongoing in the mining industry. You're starting from the environmental assessment process. Well, this is just for mines, but you think of exploration, yeah. they're starting with notices of work and all the requirements that they need to get onto the land to, to explore. Mm -hmm. But when you get to, you know, the MABC portion where environmental assessments kick in, you know, concurrently, concurrently or not concurrently sometimes with permitting, mm -hmm. through mine permitting, you're dealing with the Ministry of Energy and Mines, Ministry yeah. of Environment. Flynn Row, mm -hmm. touching multiple um, um, departments, and then through to reclamation. So it's a very broad process. And I think the key for, for us and, and the industry is to ensure that the regulatory process is, is resourced properly at all stages to facilitate timelines for uh, proponents. Mm -hmm. Business, all business wants is certainty. They want to be able to know that should they go through all of the, uh, the, the the very rigorous process that we have in BC, that there'll be a decision at the end mm -hmm. in a timely way, mm -hmm. and uh, and so it's obviously much easier said than done to do that. Mm -hmm. But that's really the the big thirty thousand foot lens that we're looking at. We're looking for certainty to be able to say, you come to British Columbia and you're looking to invest, you know that you're going to get to a decision in a timely way, so that you know whether you can invest dollars or not. And I think, um, you know, the three big buckets I always hear about and when it comes to the regulatory process is you know, scope creep, yeah. timelines, resources. So at what point... Cost of it. Right, well, and all of that... Leads, in, it all, could be an inhibitive for the company. Well, and, and all of that ladders up to cost, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, so scope creep really, you know, where in the process is the information required and, and best delivered to the regulators and to communities to ensure that, that everyone is... is duly and properly consultant and has the information they need. That's a really important one. Um, also, and we touched on timelines, but what are the timelines to getting through all of those processes so that the, these companies, which are in many cases, you know, um, multinational, big sums of money, they're looking to invest, you know, in many cases, billions of dollars in the, in the province, hundreds of millions minimum, mm -hmm. they have that certainty to know that there's timelines. The, 
the solution to those two lies in resources, to ensure that there's the proper resources within government, within industry, within First Nations communities. I mean, capacity building for them to be able to participate robustly in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really key. So so that's, I think, what, what everyone's wrapping their heads around, government, communities, First Nations, industry right now, is, is what are the right resources that are required? Where do they need to be? And how do we ensure that, um, you know, people are as trained and as um, familiar with the processes as they can be to, to, to meet those timelines. Um, and, and I mean, one thing that's sort of, I guess, as we're on the topic of the incoming uh, coalition government, um, one of the things obviously that's a huge, and you mentioned it, is coal. And coal's not exactly always the, I don't want to use the term, well, not always the sexiest commodity, when you're, especially when you're talking to people about renewables, et cetera. You, you made a good point about met. But I mean, thermal often gets lumped in there, and we have both in the province. So I'm just wondering, in terms of our coal producers, which is still a huge job driver, obviously in the south, uh, southeast, um, sort of how are you going to sort of do you have to rebrand coal, or is it just a question of education? Do you believe? Or? Yeah, yeah, education. I think mm-hmm. um, there, I don't think there's a real understanding among average British Columbians, but of the you know metallurgical coal, thermal coal, mm-hmm. coal generally. And as you said, it's a huge economic driver in the southeast and increasingly in the northeast yeah, now that we have a couple of, uh, of operations open and hopefully more to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think it really links into that discussion of um, you know the, the clean economy, the lower carbon economy we're working to. You cannot build any sort of infrastructure at all without metallurgical coal. It is, it is the product that goes into making steel. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it's just really important to keep reminding British Columbians of that and engaging in that discussion to say, this is, this. we want all of these things. We want public transit, we want infrastructure, we want schools, we want hospitals. That all requires, you know, those base, uh, uh, you know, things that go to make uh, all of the inputs that go in there and mining's at the center of all of that. And it's interesting also, I mean, um, I know this is sort of outside your purview because we'd be talking more about MEC, the actual MEC at this point, but uh, there's been word coming out about um, the federal liberals and what they want to do with the EA process, and it's scared a lot. I have like quotes, a lot of quotes from our industry being like, what are they saying here in, in terms of social license and all that sort of stuff, and they're putting in a lot of, how do you want to classify it, um, very loose language in terms of how that's going to be translated and taken in different steps. So, I mean, it, it, it is an issue that a lot of people in our business are obviously concerned about. I'm sure you hear about it fairly regularly. I mean, um, in terms of that process, and I'm sure you've read the report that they put out, uh, what are your thoughts on, on how to respond? Well, it's been, a, it's been a long process. I mean, you had the independent panel report uh, deliver their report, then the government just put out their discussion paper federally. Um, for me, I think it all boils down to that that thought of ensuring that there's public trust. Mm -hmm. And the question that I always come back to is, if you're gonna fix something, what are you trying to fix? Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to improve public confidence, you know, what what part of that trust is broken uh, or needs improving? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where um, the federal government, I think, is trying to look at that. And And I think it's very relevant for what's happening in BC. There's a lot of discussion around looking at the environmental assessment process here in British Columbia or any part of the permitting process, compliance and enforcement. It really comes down to um, ensuring that we're having, we're we're getting the right information to people so that they can understand the industry. I look at the example in BC where, um, you know, over the last year and a half, we've, industries worked with the, the provincial government to start posting, you know, permits, inspection reports, 
pertinent information for all of the major operating lines online. Could never yeah, could never see sense. that information yeah. before, and not because anyone was trying to hide it, but mm -hmm. just because it wasn't available online. It was sitting in you know boxes here, computers over here, and so we truly believe in transparency and openness. That's one thing, that's a big thing MABC is, is very much behind. Mm -hmm. We want British Columbians to see what our industry does, the, the robustness of the regulatory process. Um, and so this is a, a path we're moving down in BC, which I hope can help inform all of the different regulatory processes because the more information you put out there, um, the more eyes wide open people are about what's happening. And as, as I said before, it's an incredibly technical industry. There's, you know, dozens of binders of information that are submitted for every process along the line. I think, you know, from a from a proponent and operator point of view, we're comfortable with that being shared. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's, that's really the key is ensuring that there's that transparency, openness and understanding uh, amongst the public, all stakeholders, to so that they understand what's happening in the industry. It's really when people feel that they can't get to information that there's, there's a, think, a thought that perhaps something's not quite right. And that's so the trust you talked about. That's, the, that's where I see the try. I mean, I guess that's where I see industry being able to help further that discussion on trust is, is the more that we can be transparent um, with with what happens in, in the industry. I think that's that's really key. And I mean, from that point of view of, of, of my conversations with industry, I mean, it kind of sort of harkens back to something you said earlier, which was, which was um, sort of the dependability in the process or a certainty. And, and I think a lot of the concerns that you're seeing come out of that report is that it, it kind of goes the opposite way, right? For, especially for companies looking for that sort of certainty, right? So I'm assuming that would sort of be the message that is, it would be your response to that. Cer certainty yeah. is key, yeah. absolutely. And that needs to be, I mean, there's so many uh, lenses to view the regulatory process through, but mm -hmm. a, big, a big piece of that is that um, you know, industries like mining are huge economic drivers for BC and the country. Mm -hmm. So we need to ensure that we have a thriving industry, uh, but we all, you know, and we also need to ensure that there's transparency and trust and all of the, the, uh, uh, you know, ensuring that we can, we can do what we do in Canada and feel proud about it mm -hmm. in BC specifically. So, I mean, there's just multi, multi prongs to it for mm -hmm. sure. And, and it's important to, to see that all through those lenses. Now, I just have a couple more questions here, and we've talked a lot about um, your role and, and the organization's role vis-a-vis -vis interacting with uh, government and, and stakeholders and communities, but um, more so on the industry side. Um, I obviously know a lot of the companies already that you deal with, et cetera, et cetera, but uh, as you move into the position, um, what are you hearing from them? I mean, what's sort of the overarching concerns, or, or are they asking you for anything specific as a group, or, or what's sort of the mandate they've provided you? You know, our goal at MABC is to ensure that we have as competitive an, an industry as we can get, and that, that's based on the tax, the tax and cost structures we have. The PST on electricity. I mean, that's a very important piece for this industry. Incredibly material. We're talking, you know, in the millions of dollar, you know, million dollar a year range for for our bigger operations. We need to ensure that get, gets confirmed uh, in an upcoming budget. Both the NDP and the Liberals have both committed to it. Something we expect that, that will happen, but we need to ensure that it does. Um, regarding the carbon tax, we need to ensure that there's mechanism um, in place to protect, protect trade-exposed industries like mining. So, something that clearly both uh, or the NDP has been very clear about um, uh, working towards. So, incredibly important for the industry when you talk about it being glo globally competitive against jurisdictions that, that perhaps don't have those 
those structures there. What we want to avoid is is carbon leakage. So investment going to other jurisdictions where there's not robust carbon policies in place, then you're just basically moving the emissions to places where they're not trying to, to do the right thing, like, mm. like a jurisdiction like BC. So that's our focus is to really ensure that mechanism gets in place so that we can continue to reduce emissions on site and also keep the investment in the province. So competitiveness is a big thing. The regulatory system is also part of competitiveness. There's the more, more long term. There's bigger yeah. pe- there's bigger yeah. pieces to that, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, and it's been an ongoing dialogue, as you know, for yeah. decades. Yeah. Um, and what we need to, what our, what my goal at MABC is to, to really drill down on what are the, you know, one or two parts of the regulatory process that we can work on to actually improve, truly improve um, the process for industry, for communities, for First Nations, for government. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're going to be working on over the next several months. And welcome back to studio. Thanks again to Brian Cox, the president and CEO of the MABC, for sitting down to chat about uh, politics and the new Green NDP coalition government in British Columbia. Uh, that will certainly be a topic we will pay close attention to moving forward as the news develops. Uh, in fact, I had a couple listeners email me and they were like, can you get John Horgan and Andrew Weaver on the podcast? And I'm like, uh, maybe... Probably, maybe, uh, I don't know. But you know what we can do? We can certainly harass them until they come on the podcast. So I will email them. And John Horgan, Premier John Horgan now, please, if you listen to this podcast, get in touch with me. We will bring you on. We'll have a frank conversation about mining. I will come to you with my recording gear. So yes, we will try to, try to get the new government on the podcast. I, I, I acknowledge this is a severe long shot. But uh, we, will, we will give it our best, uh, our best efforts here to try to get somebody from the NDP cabinet or government on this show. So that's that's my challenge to myself moving ahead here. I, I think it's a pretty high bar to clear, but we'll try. We'll try. Um, but yeah, that has pretty much been our show for the week. So as always, please do like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, check out our YouTube channel, and do think about subscribing because it is a screaming, screaming deal. Hop over to northernminer.com, hit that subscribe button, and you'll get even more in-depth commentary and analysis than you do on this show. And if you are a loyal listener, please do think about rating and subscribing to us on iTunes. Uh, But yeah, that has been our show for the week. Again, I will be on the floor of the Sprott Resource Symposium tomorrow. So if you're down there, uh, pull me aside, say hi. We can always have a chat. Um, And hopefully we will have a great amount of exclusive content coming for you next week from that conference. Uh, But meanwhile, this has been Matthew Keevil with the Northern Miner Podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week. 